presented by the Coalition to Protect America's Regional Airports. Good morning, everyone. I'm Playbook co-author Ryan Lizza. It's Wednesday, June 14th. Playbook's own Josh Gerstein was one of the few reporters inside the room where Donald Trump was arraigned yesterday in Miami. I was outside the courthouse hanging out with a lot of Trump supporters and counter-protesters, but I want to spend most of the briefing today getting Josh's firsthand account of what it was like inside that hearing room on this historic day. Good morning, Josh. You were one of the few reporters who actually was in the courtroom yesterday during the arraignment of Donald Trump. Tell us a little bit about what you saw that no one else could see. Set the scene for us. Well, there was a lot of waiting around all day, <laughs> Ryan. That was the, most of the day. And uncertainty. Why didn't you respond to any of my texts? Uh, <laughs> well, because we were basically held incommunicado inside the courthouse uh, with a last minute <laughs> change to their protocol saying basically no one could have any devices, which in this day and age is pretty painful. But we all got through it together. The good news was that I was able to secure a seat. And so after many hours of waiting, we got led up to 13th floor of this courthouse. We got put through a second level of security beyond the entrance then to the courtroom entrance. And at that point, there was Secret Service there as well as U.S. Marshals who have the normal security jurisdiction over federal courtrooms and courthouses. I could tell right away that that was President Trump facing away from me, sitting at the defense table. It looked to me like he had his arms folded. He was sort of intentionally, it seemed to me, not turning around to see what was going on behind him. He just seemed very stoic throughout, as if this was something he was just sort of trying to grit his teeth and get through. Josh, were you able to watch Trump's speech at Bedminster after he flew back from from Miami? Yeah, I did. So we we have a little bit of a sense of what the legal arguments are going to be and and a little bit of a sense of what some of the, the motions might be coming from the Trump team in the coming weeks. As far as I can tell, what Trump was talking about in his speech had very little to do with those legal issues. And it was a sort of series of attacks on a whole host of other issues around the case. What is the relationship between the sort of political attacks and the legal attacks? And how much does one affect the other? Well, it was interesting, Ryan, that at the hearing, there was no attempt by the judge nor any request by the special counsel for any condition that Trump not speak publicly about the case or limit his comments, or you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he once again called Jack Smith like a deranged lunatic or something close to that phrase during that Bedminster speech, which is obviously pretty at a minimum provocative language to be using against a federal prosecutor. And honestly, I think in most cases, if somebody was saying things like that, they would ask for some kind of a warning, if not a gag order, and nothing like that even came up at the hearing. Huh. Well, that's not unusual for for a judge to do that if someone's attacking a a prosecutor like that, if this was a a typical white collar case. Right. If there's somebody outside the court that's stirring up attention, even broader than that, you know, just drawing attention to the case or trying to play to the jury pool, you'll often have judges step in and issue some kind of a gag order. They usually don't do it on their own initiative. It's usually the prosecutors ask. People like Trump's friend Roger Stone face that kind of escalating restraint of his speech after he was seen as saying a number of things that were threatening to the prosecution team or even to the judge in that case. So that's what you can face, but it just didn't come up 
yet. The other thing to keep in mind is uh, this is magistrate judge is only going to be on the case temporarily. So it's really a question of what do they ultimately ask Judge Cannon to do. It's important from a jury point of view for Trump's side to try to lay out his arguments there and to try to make it sound like he has a plausible defense to all this. And that includes both things that are legal defenses and things that really, in my view, aren't, you know, to sort of argue that he's being treated unfairly compared to uh, President Biden or Hillary Clinton or others. Those are arguments that you really can't bring in a, into a courtroom to say that Hunter Biden should be prosecuted for some sort of bribery or Joe Biden should. I don't know if they should or shouldn't. That's not an argument that a judge is going to accept either in a motion or to be presented to jurors at a trial. There are a couple things Trump brought up about the Presidential Records Act and some issues related to President Clinton, you know, years ago that will certainly be part of motions. Clearly, that speech had been vetted by his attorneys. I mean, it, it clearly laid out something close to a legal argument in some portions, but I have no doubt that they went through that to decide that, you know, what he was saying wouldn't hopefully not get him in any further trouble. But, you know, it's all part of laying the groundwork for the arguments that he's going to make in court, particularly if this case ends up going to a jury and going to a jury probably in Palm Beach County, which may well have some people that are more open-minded to Trump's arguments than perhaps they would be in some other parts of the country. Yeah, well, I was outside the courthouse, and I met a lot of those people, So, <laughs> although they weren't all from South Florida. Josh, thank you very much. Great reporting yesterday. Thanks a lot, Ryan. Happy to do it. And for your schedule today, Joe Biden will be at the Anthem tonight. No, he's not seeing a concert, but he will be delivering remarks at the League of Conservation Voters annual Capitol dinner at around 8 o'clock. Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre briefs at 1.45. The House is in session at 10 a.m. The Homeland Security Committee will hold a hearing on Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas that Republicans are calling dereliction of duty. The Senate is in. U.S. Ambassador to China Nicholas Burns will brief the Foreign Relations Committee at 3.15. The Judiciary Committee will hold a hearing on the safety of unaccompanied immigrant children. That's at 10 a.m. I'm Ryan Lizza. Thanks for listening. Almost every minute, a plane takes off or lands at Reagan National Airport, making it the busiest runway in America. Yet some in Congress want to add even more flights, risking delays and disruptions for travelers flying to or through Washington. Industry experts and the FAA agree DCA is at capacity. Visit protectregionalairports.com and tell Congress to oppose increased delays, traffic, and congestion at DCA. Paid for by the Coalition to Protect America's Regional Airports.